0: Well, tomorrow is Connor's birthday, and he's going to be 20 years old tomorrow. 20 years! Uh, 20 years of a learning experience, 20 years of joys, 20 years of sorrows, but honestly a, a lot more joys. 20 years of advocating for our kid, making sure that he gets what's coming to him, right? In a good way, right? making sure that he gets what he needs, his needs are met, 20 years of making sure that he's understood, and 20 years of being blown away by how much he understands of us, 20 years, and then and then we're reminded that at least for another day, he's still 19, he's 19 years old, and, and having a 19-year-old boy, that's, that's part of the reality of our world also, and while we know connor understands us sometimes we find ourselves repeating ourselves to him and i don't know is that common with 19 year old boys that you does that did that happen with any of your teenage kids that you have to repeat yourself with them eh, get a few nods of recognition yeah sometimes you have to repeat yourself with a teenager you have to say over and over again things like sit down. I said that two or three times while I was sitting there. Sit down, sit down. And then at home it's put your no, don't leave your shoes there. You put your shoes where they belong. Hang your jacket up. Not don't throw it on the floor. You hang your jacket up. And over and over again we say these things and it's hard to defy to divide the autism from the pure human nature, but I think there's an awful lot of that that's just human nature. Human nature shows us that we don't always listen, do we? We don't always pay attention, and sometimes we have to be told things over and over again. Now, God, our Creator, seems to be very aware of this. If you read through your Bible, you'll find a bunch of people who do nothing but make the same mistakes over and over again. A generation arises, they do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, they're punished, They repent and another generation rises up and they say, boy, those guys were idiots. We're never going to do that stuff. And then they do the exact same stuff over and over again. God must feel sometimes like I feel with Connor saying, pick up your jacket. Put your shoes where your shoes belong over and over again. And in the meantime, God is looking at us and He's saying, would you just love one another? Would Would you just love one another? So what's it say about us? What's it say about You know, communication experts say that if you want to be understood, if you want people to remember what you have to say, you have to say it at least three, what, three different times. You have to say it at least three times. Three times if you want people to understand what you're saying. So what does it say about us that a hundred times in the New Testament there is some version of God telling us love one another? We call them the one-anothers. That's what we're going to call them, by the way, the, the one-anothers that you find in your Bible. They're all over the New Testament. There are one another's that come from the mouth of Jesus himself. And then there are one another's that come from the pens of the Apostle Peter, the pen of the Apostle John. We've had one another's from Jesus's brother, James. We got a bunch of one another's from the Apostle Paul. 100 statements all through the New Testament that say one another, what we are to do for one another. Pick up your jacket, put away your shoes, forgive One another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Serve one another. And when we begin to look closely, we see one another's all over the Bible. And I don't think it's any stretch to say every time we encounter a one another in the Bible, one of those commands that says one another, every one another we encountered in the Bible is another version of love one another. And over the summer, we made our way through images in the Bible that told us who we are together, what it looks like to be a church. This is us, we said. Some of those images were a little abstract for us in our 21st century world. It's kind of hard for us right here for most of us to imagine what a shepherd and a sheep look like. We don't really understand that very well. We may not understand what it looks like to be the temple of God because we don't really do temples the way they used to. And the idea of kingdom right here in the United States, that just doesn't sit right with us. So we may not understand kingdom all that well. And while those images were helpful, nothing beats a good old direct statement. And we have a hundred of them in our Bibles. A hundred one another's. So we're going to spend this month looking through a few of them. We're going to return a little bit later in a few more months. We'll come back to the one another's again. In the meantime, there is a handout on that table in the back underneath the bulletin board. There's a handout listing all the one another's in the Bible. If you'd like to familiarize yourself a little bit more with them. But today we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, 19 through 13, where we find or excuse me, nine through 13, where we find two one another's Romans 12 If you're following along in that blue Bible in front of you, Kansas people, this is just for you. The page number is 948. Uh, That ought to sound very familiar if you're a Kansas person. We're going to represent 948 today. Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. Paul is starting to wrap up his letter to the Romans here, and he's offering some rapid-fire encouragements and little commands and little actions. Do this, do this, he tells them. Verse 9, he starts off with love must be genuine. Let love be genuine. Your Bible might actually say love must be sincere. It's something like that. Paul's original wording is much simpler. There's no verbs in that sentence. No verbs at all. Paul simply says the love genuine. It's almost a Tarzan. Tarzan, you Jane, the love genuine. Uh, It's very, very simple, almost guttural the way he does it. It's as if he's saying this is what love is. Now pay attention because I'm going to define what genuine love looks like. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You'll notice there are two, one and in this very short passage in verse 10. He says, love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. As I said, there are a hundred one another's in the New Testament, but they're all contained in 94 different verses. Sometimes we get two in a verse. He says, love one another. You're familiar with some of these one another's. You've stumbled across them in your Bible. How do we love one another? Paul says we show hospitality to one another. The Bible tells us to pray for one another, forgive one another, teach and admonish one another, encourage one another, comfort one another. Philippians tells us to count one another as more significant than yourself. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Later on in Romans, Paul will have a few more. Welcome one another. He says, "And submit to one another. Some of the one another's are even negative. The Galatians were told, Do not bite, devour and consume one another." In James chapter four, Jesus' brother James says, "Don't complain against one another, but we may have to visit that one sooner or later. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, do not neglect meeting with one another, as some are in the habit of doing. We may have to visit that one in our post COVID world. They are all through the scriptures, and every one another you encounter is another version of love one another. And here, before Paul can even say love one another, he has to remind us love must be genuine. And I think we all need these one another's because we don't do well unless we define what love looks like. We don't do well unless we define what it looks like. My friend Brian Lowry puts it this way. He says, says, we love to declare, but we loathe to define. We love to tell people what we're supposed to do, but then we don't do a good job of defining what it looks like. And so we will declare, love your neighbor, and then we say, well, it, anybody is really your neighbor. You know, Everybody's got a need. And that's, that's your neighbor. And then when our actual neighbor, the person who lives next door to us, gets themselves in trouble, we sit and wonder, well, am I supposed to do something about that? <laughs> whose, whose responsibility is that? Because we, we love to declare, but we loathe to define. We declare, but we don't define. And without defining, we don't do. So how how do we love our neighbor? How do we love one another? Well, it looks like all these other one another's. You'll find one another's all over the New Testament, but I think the greatest con- the greatest concentration are in the works of the Apostle John. It's in John's Gospel. Uh, it's in it, they're in his letters, but it's in his Gospel that we hear the one another from Jesus himself. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. Three times in those two verses. Jesus knows we don't listen well. We have to have it repeated. And then He shows us in that same passage what? Loving one another looks like. He takes off his outer garment, he wraps himself in a towel, picks up the basin, and he washes his disciples' feet. That's what the one another, loving one another, looks like, he tells us. Does that mean we got to carry a towel and a wash basin with us everywhere? Does that mean I always have to wash your feet? I think Paul gets at the heart of what Jesus is saying there when Paul follows up with another one another here in verse 10. Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. I love that idea of outdoing one another. I love the way that that he puts it there. We outdo one another. I love this idea. You're going to wash my feet. I'm going to wash your feet even harder. I'm going to wash your feet even better. You you take care of me. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to take care of you even better. We're going to outdo one another. And that gets to the key of understanding all of the one another's. They're reciprocal. They have back and forth motion. The one another's are reciprocal. They go back and forth. It's action performed in two directions. Love one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, "...through love serve one another." One another. It's reciprocal action. Love performed in two directions. It is the resounding echo from the heart of Jesus into your hearts carried through the conduit of my heart. We carry that that love to one another through the conduit of our hearts. You and I get to be that. And since it's the resounding love of Jesus in each one of us, we find that Jesus Himself is the key defining what we mean by one another. Loving one another is the best way to love Jesus. Now this is nothing new to you. You've heard this before. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, "Which commandment is the greatest? And Jesus replies, "Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then he says, the second one, is like it. Did you hear that? He didn't say the second one is second place. He doesn't say the second one is not as important. He says don't worry about the second one, just do the first one. No, no, He says the second one is like it. The second one is equal to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. You cannot love God without loving your neighbor. Loving one another is the best way to love Jesus. You want to know how best to love God? Start by just looking around this room. Start by looking at these people that you're in fellowship with. What are you willing to do for one another? How are you willing to love one another? How are you willing to serve one another? Going on down in verse 11, Paul writes, Do not be slothful in zeal, Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Zeal. It's the reminder that Jesus, loving Jesus demands our very best. It requires our very best. And since we're loving one another and loving one another is the best way to love Jesus, that means we're going to give each other our all. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulations. Be constant in prayer. The hope that we have for ourselves It fills you with your hope, fills you with joy, fills you with expectations. Can you be as joyful in your hope that you have for each other? Can you be as joyful in your prayers as you serve one another? And then he says, patient in tribulations. In other words, patient in troubles, patient in afflictions, patient in sicknesses, and patient in in just those problems that come our way. You know, patient with the struggles of others. Patient with the struggles of others that sometimes they bring upon themselves, right? Uh, Patient with them. Struggles that they make excuses for. Can we be patient with them? Can we be constant in our prayers for them? Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I told you before, The word hospitality literally means love of strangers. Love one another and love the stranger. Isn't it interesting that maybe by loving the strangers, maybe they become the one another's. Maybe they become the reciprocal recipients of our love of Jesus. Love one another. And I tell you, look around the room because these are the people that you and I get to one another with. These are our one another's. Last week, after my sermon, I had so many people come up. Got a lot of hugs and a lot of, a lot of people just coming up to share with me. I had a few people come up and say, We had no idea you were growing up in those in that situation. We had no idea you were having those problems growing up. And you you told me you're sorry. In other words, comfort one another. And then I had other people this week who contacted me. I had text messages. I had emails. I had phone calls. I had visits with people who who said, you know, you may not have known, but we were going through problems at our house too. I didn't know you back then, but here's what I was going through. And so we got to bear one another's burdens when I shared my own burdens last week. And it occurs to me, if we don't don't one another each other, Chances are we won't one another anyone. If we don't do one another's for each other, we will never one another with anyone. You are not going to find the perfect church for you to go one another with. I can finally one another with these people. You will not find the perfect mate that you can one another with. You definitely won't find the perfect kids that you can one another with. One anothering requires admitting that we are broken people, we are incomplete, and we need. One another, and all the things that we do for one another, we find we're not just loving one another, but we are loving Jesus. Love one another. That was Jesus' command. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He states it three times love one another. And then John writes his letters. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. The Apostle writes, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, love one another. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and is known of God. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And that tiny little letter, 2 John verse 5, this is the command we have heard from the beginning. Love one another. John, the apostle. John, chosen by Jesus himself. John, who calls himself the beloved because he doesn't want his name attached to the things that he does and things that he writes. John, the, who traveled with Jesus. John, who with his brother James asked Jesus, can we call fire down from heaven and consume our enemies? John and James, the sons of thunder. John, the only one of the twelve who was present at the cross. John, the first one who was present at the empty tomb. He outran Peter and got there first. John, whose own brother James was the first to be beheaded for his faith in Jesus. John, who survived as the last apostle, the last living apostle. John who spent his life caring for churches, preaching John who was persecuted, John who was tortured for his faith. Church history tells us that the Romans tried to kill the Apostle John by boiling him in a vat of oil and miraculously he survived. One of the church fathers, Jerome, tells the story that in the in the latter days of John's life, when he was approaching about 100 years old, the church would gather for worship on a Sunday, and they would bring the old apostle out on a stretcher. He was too weak to walk. They would bring him out on a stretcher, and they would sit him down in front of the entire assembly, and he would lean himself up on his elbows. The church wanted a message from the Lord. They wanted a message from the last apostle. And John would lean himself up on his elbows and look around at the Christians that were assembled. With only enough strength to speak one sentence, John would open his mouth and say, little children, love one another. And that was all. The next week, they would gather for worship. They would bring the apostle out waiting for a word from the Lord. John would set up on his elbows and he would say, little children, love one another. This went on week after week after week. Little children love one another. And finally, one of John's disciples, one of his students said, Master, why do you always say this? And John said, because it is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. So little children, little children, love one another. This is the Lord's command. We're going to make our way through some other one another's. (laughs) We'll look at the others. But we begin with love one another. And we will always come back to one another. Because if we only do this, it is enough. If we only love one another. And the song we're going to sing here in just a moment. Reminds us that it is that love that we share with one another that binds us together, that makes us one that holds us together. It may be that this week you've been through some struggles. It may be that this week you've encountered some difficulties. You've come here today not just to worship, not just to sing and to pray, but you've come to be bound together in love. We're going to pray, we'll sing together, and then we'll take communion. Let me pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the promise of of Your Son's love. And I thank You for the wonderful way that we've known that love, not just through the cross, not just through His story, but through the way that we have been loved by one another. Through those who have blessed us, who have encouraged us, who have carried our burdens with us, who have shared our joys, those who have done the one another's with us. Lord, we have known In their love, we have known Your Son's love, and in that, we have known Your presence. Today, we seek Your presence as we share this meal together. Bless this bread that reminds us of, of the body. Bless the cup that reminds us of His blood. And Lord, it's not just that we eat together. It is that we share that love with one another and bind us together through that love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.